I want to honor the people that have been with us as a church from the very beginning. Four years ago, we planted a church. And I want to honor those that have given their life for the cause of this house and getting behind my wife and I four years ago that took uh, about 20 people or so in a coffee shop into a couple hundred plus in a few years. And uh, if you were with us from the very beginning, can you stand up real quick? We, I just want to honor you. Come on. Look at that. Can we just pray for a minute? Father, I thank you for these faithful warriors. Lord, it's a big deal that they're standing right here. I thank you for their hearts. I thank you for the spirit of loyalty and honor and faithfulness. Just like those that have given their life for this nation. People give their life because they believe in a vision. Because they believe in somebody's heart. Because they believe in a city. And I pray just a exponential blessing on these. On everyone in this room, but especially these that have been faithful, that have been here since the conception of this church, God. We thank you for them, and we just honor them. We honor you right now. We honor you, and we thank you. My wife and I thank you for being a part of our hearts and our lives and for giving your life, for sacrificing, for running with the vision. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you just thank God one more time? Come on. Wow. I like that. I was just, uh, I was just thinking about when we started, and, um, and that just, God just dropped that in my heart. I felt like I really needed to just honor, just honor God's people. Thankful. Amen. Who is at Love Explosion? Come on. Did y'all have a blast? Wasn't that awesome? All right. Well, uh, I'm back in the saddle now, so I'm excited to share a word with you. Uh, I have a lot of different things stirring in my heart. We started reading out of Ephesians 1 a couple weeks ago and talked about um, the, uh, the church and the purpose of the church and, and God uh, giving a bride to His Son and just a few things. And, and then Harold preached out of Ephesians chapter 1 last Sunday morning. So uh, how dare I go where my mentor hath gone? Um, no, I, I think we'll get back into Ephesians because I think it's important that we understand that we are enthroned with Jesus in heaven. I think the Lord right now is He is maturing a bride. And, and I want to talk to you about what that looks like. I think sometimes we... Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about this morning about our, uh, our creeds as, as people. We have creeds. How many know that we believe certain things? You know, like we believe Jesus was born a virgin and he died on the cross and he rose from the grave. How many believe that? He ascended into heaven. And, and sometimes I feel like that we cling so tightly to our creeds that we forget what the gospel actually is. And I want to I talk to you about this morning. I, I want to just, I, I pray that we, uh, that we get that we slow down a little bit. I think sometimes we just get moving so fast. You know, even in a church plant that's growing. I remember at one point, those of you that um, that stood just a moment ago, remember remember when it was just growing like too fast? And we're like, okay, I literally said, Lord, slow this church down because I don't even know their names. And I want to know people. You know, I want to hang out with people. I want to make sure I know the people 
that we're serving, right? And I, I think sometimes in life we get going so stinking fast that we miss the most valuable moments. And I want to share with you this morning about a miracle that Jesus did. You know, it's interesting to me, uh, and this is my intro, and, and so I love the, the worship while I'm introing. I hope you guys are okay with that. Uh, I, it's interesting to me that I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the early church and what happened in the first couple centuries is there was a huge battle between Gnosticism and the early church. And the believers, Gnosticism comes from Greek thought that separates the spirit realm and the natural realm. Actually, there's a lot of that thinking in Western Christianity. We don't realize it. A lot of our theology um, tries to bridge the gap that's not even really there. A lot of our theology is trying to build some, some intellectual bridge between the spirit realm and the natural realm when they're not separate. Hello? That's a whole nother message. But Gnosticism attacked this reality that God manifested in flesh. Okay, Jesus was God's son. He was God manifested in the flesh. Gnosticism couldn't understand that because everything in the natural is corrupt and evil and bad. Um. And so there was this huge attack. Now, Christianity was persecuted. It was growing, persecuted, kept growing. Then it exploded when it became legal. So right around 2nd, 3rd century, it just started exploding. And then there was a creed given, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, where it, it basically boiled it down to the principles of the historic Christian faith. Something for you and I, but more so for the early church to understand, because what we have to understand is the battle was about who Jesus was. But what happened was in years past, these creeds became the foundation of thought. Uh, and I think that sometimes we miss some of the in-betweens in the creeds. And here's what I want to share with you. The creeds were absolutely necessary. I believe everything the apostles creed says. How many would agree with that? I mean, it's the fundamental church fathers. For hundreds of years, they battled what was going to be a part of the scripture, how this Bible was formulated. Actually, they took about 150 years to figure it out. They took their time to say, what is it that God, and it wasn't just one person that decided it. It wasn't one king. It wasn't one individual. And so in the creeds, here's what I want to give you this thought, that in the creeds, we see something about the life of Jesus he was born of a virgin, and then he died on the cross. It's interesting to me that they don't say anything about his actual life. Or let me put it this way. Nothing of the Gospels is mentioned except for his birth and his crucifixion, which is very important. But I think the in-betweens is very important too. I think what Jesus did and demonstrated when he lived, you know, the first 100, 150 years of the church... The four Gospels were the Scripture. That was the Bible that was passed around. Not all of the letters were introduced. Some of them were used. And then eventually the canonization of all the Scripture that we have right here, the Old Testament, the New, the New Testament, all 66 books, which is a representation of uh, the actual menorah, that there are 66 decorations on one side, one on the other, Old Testament, New Testament. I mean, tremendous uh, types and shadows of things to come. We'll get into that another time. So the scripture was put together, but these creeds didn't mention anything about the life of Jesus because they were for the purpose of defending who he was 
to the Gnostic lie. Hello? Are you guys getting this? Am I going too deep for you? Okay, here's my point. The Gospels were passed around for 150 years, and I think it's so important that we don't just read a creed or just think, well, what is the Gospel? If I ask you what the Gospel is, what is your answer? Some of you would say, well, Jesus died, and He rose again. And what if I told you that's not the Gospel? What if I told you that was part of the gospel? How could that be the gospel when Jesus preached the gospel? Or when John the Baptist preached the gospel of the kingdom, right? The gospel of repentance. And then Jesus started his ministry being baptized by John. What, what is the gospel? The gospel is good news. The gospel isn't just Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. We can't just read the Pauline letters and think, well, that's the gospel. Because if we want to know what the gospel is, we might want to read the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Hello. I think what they said was important. And I want to talk to you about, we look at the Apostles' Creed. Jesus was born of a virgin, and then he died on the cross. How many know that? What happened in between? What about the miracles? If we stopped for a moment and looked at the big picture and understood the purpose of the creeds, that they were battling Gnosticism, we can't just take that and think, well, that this is, this is what we have to preach. This is what we have to teach. Of course, that's the foundation. But in order for us to glean as believers from the life of Jesus and who He is in the earth, what was His purpose? If we're disciples of Jesus, sometimes we got to go back to the red words. Hello? What happened to the red words, man? I love the red words. Sometimes we get so caught up in theology, we forget that our theology is actually the study of God and Jesus is an exact representation of God. See, our theology and Christology should never be separated. Who is Jesus? What is the gospel? He preached the gospel of the kingdom. The king's domain. That's what I want to know. I want to know what happened between his birth and his crucifixion. Why do I want to know that? Because in order for me to be a vivid expression in the earth as the church, I got to know who he is. I know what he did, and I, and I know that that's the foundation of what we are as believers, right? I mean, we stand on it. The church, the, you know, third of the planet, to be believers, they would stand on the Apostles' Creed. I want to know what the gospel is. The gospel isn't just those short things I mentioned that are profoundly important. But I want to talk about the life of Jesus. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I pray for just a spirit of revelation. I pray for open hearts right now, God. Open hearts open perspectives, new paradigms. Lord, we just thank you for your word this morning. We just thank you for your word this morning. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would just begin to tenderize the ground of our hearts. Would you ask him right now, say, Holy Spirit, tenderize the ground of my heart. This is good soil. This is good soil. How many know if you're a believer, your heart is good soil? Mark chapter 4. And it's going to bear fruit. I think it's up to you whether it's 30, 60, or 100. Just ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, tenderize.
the soil of my heart. I give it to you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' mighty Holy Spirit, we welcome you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. It's a little warm in here, so I got to take that off. Amen. Thank you, bro. Thank you. So I want to talk to you about the, these moments that, that sometimes our theology, our understanding of what we believe, our creeds, don't leave room for. If I just told you that Jesus died for you and he rose from the dead, and you didn't know who he was, that might not make as much sense to you. I could probably lead you into a good news of salvation. But would you really understand what the core elements of the Gospels and who Jesus is? Would you really understand who he is? Now, there's a story that I want to read to you, and this is something that was just stern in me, and I want to talk to you about it. In John chapter 2, how many know John 2 is one of the records that we have of the very first, or John's record, which is only record, of the first miracle of Jesus when he turned water into wine? It's such an amazing story, and, and a lot of people pass it up as, oh, yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, he just takes some water and he turns it into wine and they're all happy and they get drunk. You know, praise the Lord, right? Whatever, they get drunk, I don't know. But I want to I talk to you about this story. And I, I believe it's a picture of, of what I'm telling you that sometimes we can miss the very important moments in between. Uh, I'm a father of five, as some of you know, most of you know. And uh, my fifth child was just born about a month ago. And I have learned that they grow extremely fast. My youngest, or my second to youngest daughter, now I can't say that anymore, is Hannah. Hannah is a beautiful little girl, and she just turned eight. My oldest daughter, who is a gorgeous little girl, just turned 13. And I'm learning that I've missed some of the in-between moments from when they were born to now. Like, it's, have you ever, I know, I know people say this, it was, oh, it seemed like yesterday, but it really does. And it seems like it was a messed up dream. Like, where I missed some of these profound moments of their life and my heart connected to theirs. And these, I mean, this is, these are my kids. I have a covenant with them. This is a big deal. I swear it feels like yesterday that you had Sarah, and I woke up, and now I have a teenager daughter in my house. What the heck is going on with my life? I need to get saved again. I need to find out what the gospel is. That's what started this message. I saw a teenage daughter in my living room, and I said, I got a kid. I need Jesus. Help me, Lord. Jesus, help me. Ha! Ah! I remember um, a couple years ago, the kids come, you know, inside, and they're all happy. Hannah knows how to ride a bike. And I'm like, I was happy, but at the same time, I'm like, how did I miss that? Like, I should have been there for that. See, I'm that type of dad. Like, I want to be there for every most profound. I got to be there when you first learn how to fish, sons, you know. I'm going to be there when you shoot your first gun. Like, I want to be there for, I want my daughters, I want to be there when they learn how to ride a bike, you know. I want to be, and I miss this amazing moment. Or when they learn how to swim. How many know what I'm talking about, parents, when you teach your kids how to swim? How many of you taught your kids like I did? Just throw them in and just let them go for it. That's how you do it, man. You got to just, right? 
Just, dude, come paddle harder. Pat, they're underwater. They can't hear you. Paddle harder. Paddle harder. With the bubbles, they'll hear it. Eventually, they'll paddle. I'm just kidding. You guys are thinking he's abusive. I'm joking. Sort of. I'm kind of serious. My son Josiah, yesterday, we're swimming. He's like, Daddy, you teach me how to swim, you know, and and I, and I stopped and I said, I'm not going to miss this moment. And I jumped in the water. I didn't want to get in the pool. I feel like an old man. I'm flabby and stuff. Like, I don't work out like I used to. I do honor the buffest man in church, though, right there in the center. Come on, somebody. I want some of that anointing on me. Oh, glory to, ooh, whoa. It caught up with me that quick. Did you notice? Just kidding. I didn't want to get in the water, but Josiah said, Daddy, I want to learn how to swim without floaties. I said, yeah, son, let me get in with you. I want to teach you how to swim. I want to be there for this moment, this in-between moment. Sometimes we get so busy in life, we forget about these moments, those moments I have with my bride of 13 years where I want to freeze time and say, this is what I live for. See, what are the Gospels saying to us? Do we cling so tightly to theology and just this creedal understanding of that God came to give His life, but we forgot what God looked like when He was actually here? Or what was the purpose that Jesus came for? All all of us understand He came to redeem mankind, right? But was part of His redemption what he actually said when he was here and what he actually did when he was here? Or was it just the consummation of him making a covenant with us and conquering death hell? I think it's all of it, and we cannot just take one part of it. We've got to read the Gospels. Let's look at the life of Jesus. Let's not pass up these important moments, these in-betweens. And one of the first ones is the miracle of Jesus, the first miracle of Jesus. He's at a wedding. How many love weddings? Come on, some of you only dance at weddings. We're such a frigid culture. Like, I don't dance. I don't do rock and roll. I got a call from a lady, and she wanted to know about our church, and she said, is yours, do you play that kind of worship that's rock, or do you play anointed worship? I, say, we, I said, we play anointed rock worship. She said, well, I just don't see that in the Bible. I don't think I heard anything else after that. <laughs> I said, well, you know, we see it a little, quite a bit differently, but, you know, God's restoring. And I was sharing something, and then she just cut me off. And I said, well, you probably want to keep looking for another church because we might, may not be a good fit. And she says, I'm not looking for another church. I need to be teaching and hung up on me. I'm like, whoa. So Jesus is at a wedding, and guess what? At weddings, they party down. It was about celebrating a covenant. See, what we miss in the in-betweens is celebration of a covenant. We miss the important moments of eating together, of laughing together, of living together, of weeping together, of rejoicing, of dancing, hello, of playing some rock and roll. See, the church is so stinking religious, they missed a whole generation because they didn't want the music that they called the devil's music. But it was just creativity brewing in the hearts of another generation that could have been sanctified and released and caught a whole and captivated a whole generation. 
of Jesus lovers. Think about the Jesus movement. You think about in the 60s, you know, rock and roll, the devil's music. Now, Satan. Now, now, nowadays, the church has caught up and, and realized their tradition has made the Word of God of no effect. And tradition has been broken. One of the meanings of that verse where Jesus talked about their tradition is yielding over to words. We've taken just these little words and yielded to them instead of understanding what's behind the words. So we miss a whole generation because we reject creativity. And maybe it was polluted. It needed some love. It needed a father. It needed some sanctification. But guess what? Creativity is ultimately from God. Hello? It may need to be sanctified, but don't shun it just because it doesn't look like what you think it should look like. I didn't plan on saying that, but I will anyways. I think it's so important we see Jesus was at a wedding. He probably danced. I know that's hard for you to imagine. A young Jesus dancing. Yeah, he probably danced better than you too. Well, they probably didn't listen to that kind of music, but they... They got down. The Hebrew culture ate together. And guess what? They drank wine. Stop it. Thou shalt not toucheth my lips. The sin of drunkenness is one thing, but let's not be so stinking religious. Now, if you've got alcoholism in your family, don't touch it. That's probably a good idea. Don't just stay away from it. But don't judge people that may have a glass of wine. Like our culture is just so frigid. Jesus is at a wedding. John chapter 2 verse 1. His mama was there. Jesus and his disciples were guests of this wedding. And it says in verse 3 in the message, when they started running low on wine at the wedding banquet, Jesus' mother told him they're just about out of wine. Jesus said, Is that any of our business, mother, yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. She went ahead anyways, telling the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. Now listen, this was not the first miracle that Jesus had done in Mary's life because God actually did a miracle where Mary said the exact same thing to the angel, according to your word, let it be unto me. You see, when you agree with God's word, life comes into you. Courage comes into you. You rise up. And she understood that if Jesus says something, that there's power behind that. This is my point. Then we probably need to look at the red words again. Because the power of the gospel is in the very words of Jesus, not a creed. That's a good word. I love the creed. I love the Apostles' Creed. It can unify the church. But we can't take just that and think that. We have the whole canon of Scripture. We have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John that that display. What what are the Gospels about? Jesus said, don't push me. She went ahead anyway, telling the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. She understood the power of the words of Jesus. I love John the Beloved. I love the way he writes. I love the way he talks about the Son of God. I love the way He loves. Come on, I love love. Who loves love? Wave at me, hippies. Come on. Jesus 
is close to John. John brags about himself in one portion of this gospel and says, the one whom Jesus loves, he's writing about himself. How many of us are that humble? I'm serious. Moses wrote about himself, said he's the most humble man on the face of the earth. (laughs) Our definition of humility needs to change too. Because I can be a confident son and still be humble. I can be as bold as a lion. Shop a rob a cocoa. Check this shirt out right here, baby. And you did the lion song today. Yeah! High five. I can be a son and I can still be humble. So John the Beloved says, the one whom Jesus loved. There's this interesting little nugget in this gospel, this gem, where John is the one who would lay on the heart of Jesus. How many know that it says that in the scripture? The one, I mean, he would just lay his head on the heart of the Messiah, of of his rabbi. He was close to him. He loved him. And and he, he actually just would cling to every word that came out of the mouth of Jesus, just like Mary. Whatever he says, you do it. In order to understand what the Gospels are and know the, the power of the Gospel and what the Gospel is, we've got to cling to the words of Jesus. Sometimes we've got to get back to the red words of Jesus. But John the Beloved, here's a little nugget, he would cling to the very words of Jesus. There's a verse in, in John where it says he is quoting, how many have ever read in the New Testament where they quote an Old Testament Scripture? How many have ever read that? And if you look in the center, you see where it actually shows uh, the, the cross-reference. Like if they're quoting Isaiah 61 in Luke 4.18 when Jesus is preaching in the synagogue and He's undoing the scroll and He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and He has anointed me. And then if you look, there, there's actual italics and it says where the verse is in the Old Testament. Well, John quotes something and it looked like an Old Testament quote, at, but it says, add as it was said, but guess what? It was something Jesus said about a year before. In other words, John understood who he was to the point where he took every red word, hello, and he looked at it as Scripture, like this is the words of God because it's God's Son. So when we look at the red words, we have to cling to them with a heart of love, like I just love, let's fall back in love with who Jesus really is. Now, it's interesting, the, the marriage thing. Like, why was the first miracle a marriage? It says that he, he said to the servants, whatever he tells you, do it. Six stone water pots were there, used by the Jews for ritual washing. Each held 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus ordered the servants, fill the pots with your water, and they filled them to the brim. I love that. Because I believe that the words of Jesus are saying, I want you full to the brim. I want you overflowing. I love what Chris was just sharing. One of the things that will happen when we fall in love with Jesus, not only will we break false humility of our lives and rise up as sons, but we will break the, the lie of poverty. Hello. Some of us have taken vows of poverty because of our framework and the way we think. Thinking it's wrong to be blessed. When the definition, biblical definition of being blessed is actually having power to make wealth. Not for our own amiss, but to be a blessing to all nations. And sometimes just say, God, you know, I need a little bit bigger house. I got six kids living in here. I live in a three-bedroom. Trust me, I need a bigger house. Someday we'll have a bigger house. 
But it's okay to be blessed. Jesus said, fill it to the brim. we got to break the poverty spirit over the church that has taken a vow of poverty. Hello. Here's one of the ways it sneaks in. Well, I just can't because her, her, her. it's a, the victim mentality. Well, I can't work because, her, her, her. you know, God wants us to rise up. He wants us to, to, to walk in our destiny. And sometimes we are powerless because we believe some lie. Listen, this is one of the ways that the church is still a victim in many cases. And, and actually, they... The church, some of the church's warfare worldview today, um, I, I fear that it's just idolatry because there's a demon be- behind every rock. When God made a covenant with Abraham, it was the revelation that there's one God and he's making a covenant with you. In that time, the nomadic wanderers believed in a bunch of different gods that were just behind every storm, every tragedy, every famine. And in essence, what we've done is we forgot the covenant that God made with us, the celebration of that covenant, but also the reality of that covenant that God wants us blessed. And we don't have to blame this or blame that or blame the devil or blame this, but rise up and actually own property, rise up, and actually take dominion, rise up, and actually get jobs, start businesses, hello, be creative, make movies, shabba rabba coco. We got to break that thinking over our, our minds, thinking that this is the way life is supposed to be. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Most of the time, I see people that, carry this thing, and, and there's times I carried it. When I first came to Henderson, I carried it. I thought that, well, you know, uh, in, in certain areas of my life, like, no, I'll never take a salary from the church because that was, a, that was a poverty mentality. When you give your life to plant a church, it requires all of you. I don't have time to work another job, although I want to start businesses, and I will. I don't have time to work another job, but when we first started, my wife and I were like, oh, you know, oh, no. It's a vow of poverty. It has to be broken over our lives. God wants us to rise up. Fill it to the brim, he said. Fill it to the brim. Now, I love this story, but if you think about it, the water literally just turned into wine. Like the molecular, 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 how do you say it? Molecular, nuclear, nuclear. The molecules, thank you, of the water turned into Grape juice that was fermented over a time, over a season, a period of time. That, that's amazing, right? Hello, how many think that's amazing? And later we read it was like the best wine. It was the real good stuff. You know, it was like Bordeaux. You know, it was a real good wine. But I think that we miss in this moment of a miracle what the whole thing was about. Do you know that in this culture, if they ran out of wine, it could have caused some major marriage problems in this, in this marriage. So what was Jesus actually thinking about during this miracle that I want to see this family blessed? As a matter of fact, if I think about the Gospels, what did Jesus really come to do? Aside from, obviously, the work of redemption. What did he come, but what, in, even in that, what was behind that? What was behind redemption? 
because we're all sinners in need of a Savior? What was behind we're all sinners in need of a Savior? How about he's ravished over us and he loves us? Or how about this? Jesus, hear me, Jesus came to reveal the heart of a father. And when we understand who a father is, it causes our lives to come together. It's called family. And he says, I'm going to build a house. I'm going to have a people. They're going to be my church. I'm going to build them. I'm going to build my church. And my kingdom's going to go forth. The kingdom. Often we read about the kingdom in the Gospels. The king's domain. The gospel is about God taking on flesh and becoming a king. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, he sat down on the throne. He's reigning. He's been reigning for over 2,000 years. His government is increasing. And we're a part of that. Wow. But behind the wedding, behind the miracle, the, the moment where the molecules of the water actually turned into wine, that brief second or seconds or millisecond when it actually happened, it was all about love and covenant. It was all about, I believe that every miracle in all of the Gospels that Jesus did was about revealing the heart of a father. Revealing the heart. This is what the father looks like. He does not want you broke and sick and oppressed. He wants you free and blessed and prosperous. I love the story of the woman caught in adultery. Where the law says, it's interesting to me, Jesus used the, the water pots that were used for a tradition of man of that time. I love the story where the woman's caught in adultery and the law says we should stone her. And Jesus intervenes. Say, Jesus intervenes. See, this is one of those moments that we can't miss between the birth of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus, because it it causes it all to come together. When Jesus looks at the woman that was about ready to be stoned, and he tells all of these religious people, if you have no sin, go ahead and, and stone her. That's basically what he said. Go ahead, cast the first stone. And obviously, they were convicted by their conscience, and they began to leave, starting from the oldest to the younger. And Jesus looked at her, and he said, where are your condemners? See, the heart of a father will intervene in the most sinful person's life, intervene in a situation where there's just embarrassment and shame. Some historians say she was probably totally naked. And Jesus says, look at me. Where are your condemners? And she said, I don't have any. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What is this? This is a demonstration of his love. Lastly, we look at, it says in verse 10, everyone know, I know, uh, begins with their finest wines. And after the guests have had their fill, they bring in the cheap stuff. You know, they get them pretty loaded and they, don't, they can't tell if it's good wine or not. But God says, I want the, the best wine for last. It says that he called out to the bridegroom. See, what happens when we understand who Jesus is, when, when he pours out his spirit on us, the spirit and the bride say, come. 
And there, there is something that happens where we, when we understand who Jesus is, that the First Peter 1 says that through the revelation of Jesus, grace increases in our life. This is huge. When we see who Jesus is, the Bible says we're transformed from glory to glory. See, this is all about becoming more mature in the love of the Father, in the love of Jesus. His love is better than wine. And when we taste of His wine, we can't help but to just share it with everybody around. And everyone in the earth gets intoxicated on the sweetest of wines, the love of Jesus. But if we skip from the birth to the death, we miss the most important part, which is covenant, which is new wine, or or which is wonderful wine, and which is about family, which is about revealing the love of the Father. Jesus came to reveal the love of the Father. Hebrews chapter 2 says that he wants to bring many sons unto glory. And when we understand who he is, we rise up into glory. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you're maturing a bride, that you're maturing us. Your love is so rich. Your love is so amazing. I don't want you to pass up this first miracle. I don't want you to pass up all the miracles by clinging so tightly to just some creed or understanding of what the fundamentals of what we believe are. I think... It would all be in vain if we didn't know who Jesus really is and what He came to bring and what He came to do. He came to reveal the heart of the Father. He came. Why did He die on the cross? Why did He willingly give His life? Because He loved us. For God so loved the world. I said this one time and somebody got mad and left. So I'm going to say it again, just in case there's anyone else who wants to get mad and leave. You had value before Jesus shed his blood, or he wouldn't have shed his blood. One time I heard someone say, I'm only worth anything because of your blood. That doesn't make sense. It may make sense because of some death-centered theology that we've learned, unfortunately, and believed. But if... If you didn't have any value, if you were worthless, he wouldn't have shed his blood. Hello? Now his blood sanctifies you. It cleanses us. We become one. At one. Atonement, right? He takes on the sin of the world. The sins of the world crush the Messiah. We're buried with him. We're crucified with him. We're raised with him. We ascended with him. We're seated with him. But he did it all because you had value. This is what I believe is the meaning of the Gospels. It's God coming into our world. I love that line in how he loves. Heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. We're looking from some we're looking for some theological formula. Hear me, this is so powerful. We're looking for some theological formula or creed to bring heaven on earth. When heaven on earth is embodied in a person, his name is Jesus. So let's have a red letter revolution. What did Jesus come to bring? Reveal the heart of the Father. 
Reveal his love to humanity. Look at the little kids. No, disciples, let them come. This is the kingdom, and he blessed the children. Don't touch that leper, Jesus. You'll get dirty. Jesus was moved with compassion. And he touched the leper, and he said, be clean. I mean, he was a revolutionary. He changed the whole paradigm of the religious thinking of his time. And we cannot miss it. We cannot miss what the Gospels, what are the Gospels telling us? The Gospels are telling us there's a daddy that loves us so much that he sent his son so that we could be a part of his family. Come on. Isn't that good? Would you just lift your hands? Let's pray right now. I'll let you go. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you're revealing your love to us. You're revealing who you are to us. You're pouring out this good wine, Lord, this wine that is, uh, Father, has been sitting in a wineskin for a long time. It's good. It's rich. It's worth a lot. And it's your love and you're pouring it out. You're pouring it out, God. Let us taste of this wine. And when we do, it changes us. It, it, it intoxicates us to just fall deeper in love with you. Lord, we just want more. We want more of your love. We want more of your love. Some of us have drunk from the wells of salvation, but Jesus is saying, come and drink the love of this wine I'm giving you. A parallel to the bride and the bridegroom, Song of Solomon, it says that your love is better than wine. Your love is better than wine. Jesus is saying, I want, if you want more of my love, if you want to discover the depths of my love and who I am, just ask me and I will give you more. Would you just say that? Say, Jesus, I want, I want more of your love. Just ask him and let him pour it out right now. Let him pour it out right now. Let him just, let him just overwhelm your heart with his love for you, how he loves you. Bless your people. Bless your people. Thank you for a spirit of revelation. An awakening right now. An awakening right now. Not to cling to just a theology formula, a creed, Lord, but to just look at the life of Jesus. Who you are. God manifested in the flesh. What you look like. What you did when you were here. Every miracle exemplifying the love of Daddy God. We take it in. And we just, we say la. And we say, Lord, we want to know what the gospel is. So we go back to the red words. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to dismiss you. Um, Just turn to the person next to you and say, are you ready for a red-letter revolution? Come on. Now, I want to to encourage you. I didn't ask you to say that much. It was only a few words. What's going on here? Read the Gospels, amen? Amen. Would you read, read the Gospel of John? Read John chapter 1 and 2, all right? Bless you, saints. Make sure if it's your first time, go by our connection table. We have something for you. Would you love someone before you go? God bless you. You may be dismissed.